uh, find ourselves this morning in John chapter 6. And, uh, and the setting that we find ourselves is, is in an interesting setting. And, and Jesus has just come off the time where he has, he has fed the 5,000. Uh, and now he's gone into this time where he starts teaching some hard stuff. And the hard stuff is not going over very well. And so we pick up at John chapter 6, starting at verse 56. And I would ask you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. The gospel of John chapter 6, beginning right in the middle of Jesus' teaching, Jesus' words, verse 56. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Where that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You can be seated. Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis is a cowboy from Oklahoma. Tillis fought in Chicago primarily in the 1980s, the early 80s. He's a deeply was a deeply religious man. Uh, Tillis is remembered as the as the first boxer that would make Mike Tyson go the distance in a heavyweight division round. Tillis had disappointments as a boxer, but evidently it didn't rob him of his humor. He, he tells of the time that he, he took the bus to Chicago to begin his his big boxing career, and he, and he took the bus to the Windy City, and he got out, and he talks about having two cardboard suitcases under his arms. And he, he set them down, and he looks up at the Chicago skyline, and he looks up at the Sears Tower, and he raises his arms up and says, he is going to conquer Chicago. And when he looked down, his bags had been taken. They were gone. Way to begin a boxing career. But Tillis did not quit. His career did not take the path that he envisioned that it would take. He didn't accomplish the things that, that he thought he would accomplish, but he never quit in the midst of it. Some of the people who followed Jesus were disappointed. We've talked about that before. They, they expected a Messiah that was different than the Messiah that came. Jesus gave them a Messiah that was, was not a, a king of, uh, of an earthly kingdom, but, but a king in a different way. Let's think about the context of where Jesus is, is teaching. He, he's just come through this time of, uh, of feeding 5,000, but, but actually it was 5,000 men. And so I think if we add up the women and children, I think at least we have to come to the number around 10,000 people that were there. And I think about that, and I think, where did these 10,000 people come from? 
how are 10,000 people following after Jesus? If you've been to, to City Beach on 4th of July to watch the fireworks and, and you see the, the absolute sea of people, they tell me there's about 10,000 people that come in for that. 10,000 people. Where did they come from? Well, Jesus has been at work. He has been healing. He's been making a, no, a name for himself. He's healed Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood. He's been sending his disciples out to, to preach in, in, in authority, to cast out demons, to, to heal the sick. And, and consequently, his ministry is going viral, if you can say that about a person. It's being spread from person to person. He's gaining in this popularity. People were following him because they were watching the, the signs of what he was doing. They were, were having their needs met, including being fed. He, he was so popular that, that there was movement a, a couple different times, movement to make him king, and Jesus would have to duck out because, because Jesus was not interested in being their earthly king, but pointing them to the king of kings. And so we come to this lesson today, this, this verse that's tucked into the midst of Jesus' teaching. John says this. He says, From this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I want you to hear what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that many in the crowd turned back. He doesn't say that, that many who were fed turned back. We would expect that. I mean, just like today, many people, there, there are always people who are looking for the, the latest and greatest and most popular thing in town, and they will always be looking and seeking and, and looking after. But, but that's not what he says. We could have understood if John had said that many of the 10,000 had turned back, but, but that's not what he says. He says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and did not follow him. That means that, that some some who had responsibility, some who were on the, on the, on the inner group, some who were, were board members and Sunday school teachers and worship team folks and ushers, they, they turned their backs on him because, because Jesus seemed to be going down a path that wasn't the path they thought he was going to go, that Jesus was going down a path that, that wasn't where, how they wanted to live. What it was, though, I think, was the right-sizing of Jesus' followers. You see, sometimes in order to move forward, there has to be a, a moving backward. Sometimes in order to move forward, there has to be a, a pruning. And sometimes in, to move in the right direction, there have to be those who are left behind. We, we don't want to talk about that, but, but we talk about it in agricultural terms. We talk about it in trees, that in order for the tree to really flourish, it has to be cut back. It has to be pruned in ways. That's not something we're comfortable talking about in the church all that much. But it's impossible... It's impossible for a church to, to, to move forward if its highest principle, if the highest principle of the organization is to keep everyone happy and fulfill everyone's preferences. I know this story about a pastor. It was his first church, and uh, it was a congregation of about 35 families, and, and there was a successful businessman in the church who gave a good portion of the church's income now, folks knew that because he reminded them of, them, of it on a regular basis. Um, Any times that things came up, he reminded that what he had done and, and kind of influenced uh, the church in various ways. And so the new pastor arrived, and 
And uh, it was a couple days before their, their first communion service. And, and he was told that the, that the church all took, took uh, part of communion in, in the small individual cups, except for this man and his family. They took a, a common cup. Now, you familiar with the common cup is, is the cup where everybody drinks out of the same cup. You know, the, the Catholics do that, other folks do it, where you come forward, you take the bread, everybody shares the cup and drinks it. So what they would do is, is everyone would be served in the individual pieces, and then this family would be served separately, and they would all drink out of the common cup. Well, when the pastor heard this, he, he reacted kind of strongly against it. He wanted to understand it, because this family shouldn't be treated differently than any other family is treated. And he said, communion is really a time where we ought to be a people who come together. We ought to be a people who are unified. And so doing it separately, that doesn't, doesn't really work. He watched how it worked the first Sunday. He was new there. He wasn't really sure what to do. But before the next communion took place, he, he went to the church board and he explained that he didn't think this was the right procedure uh, for them to do. And, and he discovered that the congregation long ago had voted to, to take communion in individual cups, but they had never enforced this policy because this family had this particular preference. Well, the pastor just told him point blank, I'm I'm not going to serve this family different than I serve any other family. And in fact, I think you, board, you need to help out in this. And so I'd like for a motion that says we're going to fulfill the policy that's laid out. And so they made a motion, and they passed it, and then the pastor said, okay, who's going to tell the family? And it was quiet. Finally, the pastor said, well, I guess I'll go. Uh, I'll talk, but one of you have to go with me. And so they went, and they sat down. And can you imagine the scene? This 25-year-old pastor sitting across from uh, this uh, 60-year-old businessman in this richly appointed home. The whole family gathered, man, wife, older bachelor son, and single daughter. And the young pastor explained that the congregation had voted that the communion would be taken in individual cups, and it really was important that the congregation all did this in a unified practice, and therefore they, they were not going to take the common cup anymore. Now, he explained to them he had nothing against the common cup, I mean, you know, if you like to share a cup with 200 of your closest friends. Um, but he has nothing uh, against the cup, but it was the idea that they needed to be unified together. Well, as you can expect, there was quite a dressing down uh, by the businessman to the young pastor. Who are you to come and disturb things? This is how we've always done it. This is the way my family likes to do it. This is how we express our faith. The pastor said, well, the, the board unanimously voted to uphold the policy and so that's what we're going to do. And the man said, well, that's fine. Then I guess my family will leave the church. And the pastor, with the greatest composure that he could, said, I'm sorry about that. Where would you like me to send your membership? And it got quiet. For no one had ever spoken to the family that way. They didn't believe that the church could actually exist without them. And when they realized that the pastor meant business, the tone changed a little bit, and they responded, why don't we pray about it for a while? We'll let you know. Well, I could tell you more of the story, but the long of it is that the family ended up staying in the church, but the stranglehold over the church that they had was broken. You know, we don't like to see anybody leave the church. Every believer is precious to God. But even Jesus couldn't keep everyone happy. And here's what gives me hope. He didn't even try. He didn't even try. 
for he wanted people who were committed to the mission of where he was going. And when he started talking about the cost that was involved, his broken body and his shed blood and the, and then the picking up your cross and following after him, his words fell on unreceptive ears because they were people who had different preference. But those who stayed with him, those who were committed to the mission, they are still celebrated today. And indeed, we wouldn't have the church some 2,000 years later without them. It hurt Jesus to see those who had been in ministry with him, along with his ministry, turn their back and walk away. Now, they had been with him when he had healed the lame. They had been with him when he gave sight to the blind. They were with him when he fed the 5,000, the 10,000. Could it be that they they couldn't see who he was? I mean, he might not be the Messiah they expected him to be, but but certainly they could see that he was one who was different. Certainly they could see one that he was the one that God had sent. One like none other who had been. And I think of those questions, and I guess the question that comes to my mind is maybe more important than that. Can we see who he is? I want you to hear me, and, and I wasn't even sure I should, would say this, but, but I'm going to, even though I'm up for review. Um, I don't say this in a jealous way at all, and I, and I really am not trying to throw anyone under the bus. There are some preachers who have built huge, Stadium kind of ministries. And I know that they've done good work in good places at times. And I'm not I'm making a generalization. I'm not picking on one person. But I, I listen to their podcasts and I and I read their blogs. Trying to figure out what is it that that has people so attracted to what their ministry is. I want you to hear my heart here. I'm not trying to throw stones. But when I listen, what I hear only is how God wants to bless them and make them healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that draws crowds. Now hear me, I think God wants to bless. But what I don't hear picking up your cross and laying down your life and being willing to lay aside your health and preferences and possessions and dreams for the purpose of God's kingdom that is far bigger than the purpose of our life. That, that kind of talk tends to scatter a crowd. But see, I'm convinced that the blessings of God come when we are the people who lay down our life. For Jesus himself says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I read a writer who visited a church recently who said that the church said, we want our members to wear aprons, not bibs. An interesting phrase. We want our members to wear aprons, not bibs. Here's what they meant. Bibs are for people who only want to be fed. Bibs are for people who cannot or will not feed themselves. Bibs are for those who are not interested in serving, but being served. Bibs are for those who insist that the church exists to meet their preference and their life. Bibs are for babes 
in the faith, who haven't caught the vision of what it means to be God's church and God's people. Now, I want you to hear me. There is an appropriate time, an age-appropriate time that all of us wear bibs. Breakfast afterwards might have some girls in bibs, maybe even. Some of you should once in a while. There won't be a lot of 20-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 60-year-olds in there wearing bibs. There is an appropriate time for bibs. Absolutely. But at some point, we have to be a people who grow to be ones who put on the apron. The other hand, aprons are for those who have a heart for service in Jesus' name. Aprons are are those who understand what it means that, that it's not a building, but they are the church. Aprons are for those who, who, who don't mind getting their hands dirty. Aprons are for those who take time to daily uh, feed their spiritual hunger. Aprons are for those who, who are growing in the faith and hunger to see other grows, grow as well. For on the night that Jesus was betrayed, just hours before he was crucified, the very Son of God took off his garment and tied it around his waist and, and he bent down and he washed the disciples' feet. Now, you need to be sure you understand what's taking place culturally here. The servant who was the foot washer, they were the lowest of the low. The servant who was the foot washer, they were the entry-level servant. I mean, it went real high if you were a servant anyway, but the bottom of the seniority was the guy who washed the feet because feet were such an unclean thing, still are in Middle Eastern culture. And yet Jesus, the very Son of God, bends down and washes the feet of his disciples. And then he says to them, I have given you the example for you to follow. And Jesus essentially is saying to his disciples, be people who wear aprons, not bibs. Jesus says, I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life for a ransom for many. And, and then he goes on to say, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life, you will find it. Jesus calls us to wear aprons, not bibs. The people came to Jesus to be fed only, but as soon as Jesus began to challenge them to be people who feed others, they scattered and weren't interested. And we have this moment that is such a painful moment, I think, in Jesus' life. It had to be so hurtful. When he turns to the ones that are left, and you can hear the sadness in his voice, and he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And of course it was Simon Peter who said, Lord, where else would we go? Where else would we go? For your words have eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You see, Simon discovered what so many of us have discovered, that we can search in all kinds of places. We can go in all kinds of fields. We can look in all kinds and seek in all kinds of ways. But it is only in Jesus that we really find what we need. And that's why we linger here. That so many of us have exchanged... A, uh, the life of the bib for the life of the apron. There is no way to live casually about it because if you really believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, then how possibly could you not offer Him everything that you are? If you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then how could you not give Him all of your life? There, there's really no living in between. You can't say He's the Son of God and I'm kind of going to get involved. But 
an amazing passage of Scripture. So what does it say to us? What does it say to those of us who who leave here today and we start into our week and we start into the relationships of our life? And and, and it's one thing to to hear that, but but how does God's story intersect ours? I, I think in a number of ways, but I think at least in these two ways. As you leave, would you think of at least these two things? Some of us are walking through tough circumstances. And it won't be long before all of us, at some point, walk through tough circumstances. It is one thing to follow Jesus when all of your needs are met. It is one thing to follow in the midst of when when everything in life is good and all of the things and your needs and your wants are met. It is another to trust Him when the way gets tough. But oh, where else can we go? Where else can we go to find true life, to find real peace? We have learned time and time again as we have sought in other ways and in other places that it is only in Jesus that we find rest. If you're walking through those tough places, would you be reminded, don't pull away. Don't pull away when the way gets tough. Don't pull away in, in, when the road is, is hard. But rest in the God who is with you and says he will be with you even to the end of the age. The second thing I think this might remind us as we prepare to head off into the week, that, that honestly, sometimes, sometimes we get too comfortable. We find ourselves living in the bib and frustrated when we don't get our way or we don't get our preference. And, and it happens to all of us. We, we, it's just part of our nature. We, we find ourselves slipping there. Can, can I challenge us this week? Can I challenge me, uh, especially all of us, to, to come to a point to decide, this week I'm going to be a person who puts on the apron. I'm going to pick it up. I, I'm going to find ways to serve to be a people that are reminded that, that it is only in, in losing your life that you really find it. To be a people whose purpose is greater in life than just to be about one who fills their own bucket. To be a people who loves people like Christ loves the church. You see, this week, you will be forced, I will be forced in all kinds of ways. There will be moments that we come to when we have to decide are we going to wear the bib or are we going to wear the apron? There'll be situations that you just run into Monday, Tuesday, all week long that we'll have to make some of those decisions. Could we decide right here in the presence of each other and inviting God's Holy Spirit to help us that we would be a people who put on the apron? That we would be a people who choose this week when we come into those moments where we can turn left or turn right that, that we will we'll have to choose. Is it about us or is it about somebody else? Is it about the bib or is it about the apron? Could we be a people who just once again say, I'm going to choose God's way. I'm going to choose the apron. I'm going to choose to be the hands and feet of God in the world in which I live. That isn't always the easy way. But let me tell you, that's the way that Jesus calls us. And I think that Jesus would look at us as he looked at the disciples and say, when you face those decisions, I think he would say, you're you're not wanting to turn the other way either, are you? 
be a people who choose what it means to follow after him, even in the tough ways and in the tough places. To put on the apron and to live out our faith. Because those that are around us, the only time that they might see a glimpse of Jesus is when you put on the apron and are willing to wash their feet. Let's be a people this week who live out our faith, not just in our words, but in the actions of our life. Would you stand with me? Father, we give you thanks this morning for a, for a time in which we've come into your presence to celebrate your grace, to celebrate the cross, to celebrate what you have done for us. And, and when we think of all that, how can we not choose to be a people who follow after you? God, I know that each of us this week, me included, will be faced with those moments in our life in which those, those little things, in, in little ways that, that we make decisions all the time, are we bib wearers, are we apron wearers? In little ways that we, we decide, is it about us or is it about you? God, I pray this week you'd remind us of the apron. You'd remind us of those moments of who we, we've been created to be. Help us to be your hands and feet. God, I don't even know how to pray all that because I know everyone is going to go out into different places and in different situations this week. But my trust is this, that we would decide right here and now to be your church in our community. To love people where they're at. To give grace that has been given to us. To wash feet if we have to. And to be a people who reflect your character. We choose this day to be yours. Help us not to be people who just receive. Oh, we're thankful for what we receive. We're thankful for the blessings you outpour on us. But God, help us to be people who live out our faith in tangible ways. And when the ways get tough, we need to lean into you harder. For in following you, there's an everlasting life. Oh God, May your name be lifted up through the work of our hands this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go. See you at breakfast and this afternoon for the barbecue.
Good morning. Welcome to worship on this beautiful day. We have come this morning. Um, it was 30-some degrees this morning. Is that... See, if I came today and said it was going to be 105, there'd be a whole other group of you that just started applauding. So you can't win. You can't win. But we come regardless of the temperature you would like it to be. We come this morning with one purpose, to give thanks. We come into God's presence. We, we make a choice right up front. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to choose to worship. We're here to choose to give thanks for the amazing grace of God. And we're going to sing about God's grace today. We're going to sing about the cross. We're going to sing about the gift we have in Jesus Christ. We have come to worship. Would you stand? And let's prepare to worship this morning. God's grace is enough. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So greater and stronger and higher than any other. Water you turned into 